crazy person from a patent office once said everything that, that can be invented has been invented and, and never has that been so wrong as now. I'm Ethan Joan, a sophomore in the Lavin Entrepreneurship Program in UW's Foster School of Business. You're listening to Founded, a podcast that connects you to a community of entrepreneurs, investors, and mentors involved with the Burke Center for Entrepreneurship. Their journey will leave you engaged, educated, elevated, and ready to launch your own idea. Thank you, Ethan. I'm Charles Trillingham, coming to you from the Foster School of Business at the University of Washington. In this episode, we'll dig deep on venture capital with Ignition's Adrian Smith, and later, we'll hear from the CTO of Membryon, Greg Newbloom. Membryon won the 2017 UW Business Plan Competition and has gone on to raise some serious early money in the clean tech space. Let's get started. Our guest today is Adrian Smith, partner at Ignition in Bellevue, an early-stage B2B venture capital firm that focuses on things like machine learning, enterprise software, IT, cloud, and much more. Adrian has a storied background in telecom and engineering work that dates back to his studies at Robert Gordon's Institute of Technology in Aberdeen, Scotland, and he has served as an investor, director, mentor, and judge for dozens of companies. Adrian, thank you for speaking with us. Pleasure, Charles. I should mention you're a part of the Burke Center Advisory Board and a former chair. When did you first become involved with UW? Uh, probably eight, ten years ago, um, as many people are. We were uh, Connie was uh, trolling for people to uh, help with the business plan competitions and mentoring, and that was something I really have enjoyed doing in the past and was great to be involved with the UW uh, Burke Center for, for that period of time. So many, many business plan teams and many, many Jones and Foster uh, teams have been through that process during that time. It's been a lot of fun. And so that's, uh, that's Connie Barassa Shaw, the former director of the Burke Center. Can you remember uh, what that conversation was like when you, when you first thought about getting involved? Um, you know, it was actually it was pretty easy because it was a lot of fun. And what I like doing about that is you're meeting all the entrepreneurs and all the people in business in the Seattle community. So, you know, it's not just being locked up in some room on, on campus. Uh, you're, you're meeting all the other people, all the other VCs, the lawyers, all the other service providers. And so actually it's a very fun experience. And, uh, you know, the, the, I think the students get that energy from the energy and the excitement that we have uh, in that program as well. So it's been, it's been a great experience for both ways, for, for us and uh, helping the students. Now, how long have you been involved with Ignition? Uh, so I joined Ignition pretty much uh, a week or two after we, the company was founded in 2000. Um, and so uh, that was, I think, six funds ago. Um, and we've done probably 120 companies, 130 companies in that uh, time frame investing in those. Um, so it's been a fun, fun ride. So how does a gentleman from the UK find himself on the west coast of the United States? Yeah, that's, a very, that's an interesting one. Um, uh, I was actually out here on vacation and uh, I visited my aunt and uncle, and my uncle worked for Boeing. And uh, there was this company, McCaw Cellular, that uh, my company at the time, British Telecom, had uh, done an investment in. And we'd sent some contractors over to help uh, get some of their original systems up and running. And I managed to snag myself an interview. And my aunt sort of said, if you, you know, if those trees weren't in the way, you could actually see Carolyn Point, and that's where the company was headquartered. So I popped in, saw a buddy of mine, and got an interview. And Went home, thought about it for a while, packed, got a visa, and came on out here. That was uh, that was 24 years ago. The Pacific Northwest does cast a spell over you, doesn't it? It certainly does, yeah. It's a great place. Uh, was there an early experience you can point to in life uh, where looking back now, 
it all makes sense that you're here and you're a technician <laughs> and you're in Bellevue, Washington. I think it's very difficult to plan, uh, you know, from being sort of someone stuck in a research labs in uh, the south of England to then be, uh, you know, out here working in the, the great venture community that we have in Seattle. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to plan. And I think, you know, you can have a goal and a direction of, of where you want to go, but I think you need to be prepared for things to take a slightly different course and to be able to make the most of that. And I hope that that's what people are able to do. Now, at university you participated in a competition very similar to the ones that you had yeah, I was, I was thinking for. about that this morning and, and uh, you know how different the competition was back in Aberdeen in Scotland in 1988 um, than, than the competitions that you run here. Uh, the grand prize, which we were absolutely thrilled to get, was £15. And this was uh, run by a local TV station and it was a technology competition and we were involved in that. And, you know, we were just so thrilled to get £15 in our picture in the paper and, and get to tour the TV studios. So that was the big prize for for us but that was the first time I sort of realized that sort of connection between industry and the students and I think that was lost on a lot of particularly on the technology universities that to have that con connection between the industry or business and the students is so critical because it certainly gave me a new totally different perspective after that competition of, of what it's like to work with people in business um, and that kind of that reaching out to the outside once you finish your studies what do you do after that now is that your first experience with wireless cellular the telecom kind of work? Yeah, yeah. I started off designing um, uh, cordless phone systems back in the 80s. So the uh, the system that's in pretty much all home uh, phone systems is, is something I worked on back then and then came over and did the cellular system for McCaw Cellular, uh, which was a, a long and arduous and but very, very, very rewarding time. Now, it, this is a bit of a footnote in your biography, but you authored a book, a co-authored a book titled Let's see if I get this right. It's, it's a cracking title. IS-136 <laughs> TDMA Technology, Economics, and Services. So just a bit of light reading. It is absolutely light reading. Uh, you know, if you need to go to sleep, you can read it. I think it's very important that everyone reads, uh, you know, things about technologies that are now totally obsolete. But uh, I did that back in the 90s. I got asked to write a book. And uh, it was daunting. And the funny thing is, literally, uh, yesterday, I ordered two copies because they're now worth about two bucks on Amazon. So I bought a couple more copies in case they go totally out of uh, out of uh, print but yeah it was it was a, it was an arduous process but it was a lot of fun you're gonna have to sign them yeah yeah <laughs> actually you know you can get a discount if you get a signed copy because i think there are there's more signed copies than unsigned copies so for everyone listening <laughs> he's signing copies yeah. they're out there uh what about wireless talk technology excites you so much um, you know, I started doing the, the, the cordless technology back at BT, and that was just when cellular technology was starting. And we were putting things in those technologies that are now absolutely commonplace today. And it was it was so unheard of back then. Uh, so the seeing just the excitement and the growth of, I mean, the first phones we worked on back here had two kilobits per second of data throughput. I mean, it's minuscule. Um, and, and so now to see, you know, the phones that have the, the large screens, the app stores, the, the data throughput that is, is, is the same as you can get over wires pretty much, uh, you know, in, in buildings now. It's just so exciting how that's grown. And, you know, who on earth to think what's going to happen next in the whole wireless space with uh, the 5G stuff. So it's very, very exciting what's happening in wireless. You know, the, the issue with wireless is it takes a lot of capital. So the capital requirements for startups in wireless is a lot more than if you're doing a SaaS company or a software company. And that can make it, you know, kind of difficult to, to do venture investing in. Uh, but, you know, there are nuggets out there, and we've, we've, uh, we've had some good success with some of them. Now, I definitely want to get back to the capital aspect on it. But I want to ask you... Uh, you know, you kind of grew professionally and then later as an investor during a really interesting time, almost 
at the same time the technology was growing alongside of you. Um, does it feel like that gave you an advantage? Yeah, I think, you know, when we started way back when, you know, the wireless internet was going to be the thing, and now everyone sort of thinks, well, of course it is. You know, back then it was not not as, as well uh, known. So having that deep background in wireless, you know, made me understand what, what could be done and where things were going, and that, that certainly helped. But, you know, there's an awful lot of opportunity, as you know now, in cloud computing and IT and machine learning and, and all these types of areas, which are just as exciting. I, you know, I always, you know, that... that crazy person from a patent office once said everything that's, that can be invented has been invented and, and never has that been so wrong as now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, speaking of that, you know, Ignition has had some tremendous successes uh, recently. Cloudera, Hipmonk, Going Back, Splunk, Swipe, uh, many others. Um, I believe over 50 um, different acquisitions or IPOs. Um, what sense of pride do you get from helping from knowing that you 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 may have helped with the success of some of these companies, you know it's it's great, and I I was involved in one or two of the ones that you mentioned just there. Not not all of them, obviously, but yeah, it's it's great, and you know we've got a big you know huge bunch of people here at Ignition, and and it's great to be able to be involved in so many different aspects and technologies and businesses that can be sort of cross pollinated across the the two of them, uh, you know, so that you can get a a, a broader viewpoint across any particular area. Uh, but no, it it is great, and they're, they're um, you know working with great people is is so important and and that's that's what's you know one of the big things about it i often uh, people often talk about technology and they go on about how great it is and i sort of say okay well great put that in a box tell me how you sell it how do you make money on it how do you how do you get someone to part money to put to buy your technology or to use your service um and that's so important because people can get a bit lost in the sort of the technology weeds rather than what what's it how is it going to change someone's life how are people going to actually leverage and 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 make use of what you've created well i'd like you to expand on that if you could because i know um a phrase that has come out of Ignition in the past is, we don't evaluate pitches, we evaluate people. What, what does that mean to you? It's very easy to make any pitch sound great and that it's the next greatest thing. Uh, but, you know, people, it is it's a huge, huge aspect of, of, of why we do investments. But I think also that it's probably one of four or five major areas. I mean, there's obviously the business, there's the market, uh, there's the, the, the financials around it, there's the product itself, the the uniqueness of that product. So it, it, it is a multidimensional problem. But people, I think, you know, it's it's been well regarded that the people are, are one of the key key. Uh, aspects to a successful company because the product the product and the service they do matter they absolutely they absolutely matter you've got to have uniqueness protectability all these types of things but you know if you can't sell it uh, or if you can't generate enough interest in it then you're not going to get too far with it so uh, you know there's unfortunately a lot of technology that's sitting on the shelf because it hasn't been uh, you know well packaged or well marketed or well sold and you know that that is up to the CEO and the management team of the company to be able to do a good job of that and where we can support during that process we can. Now you obviously have decades of experience dealing with this now but does the gut feeling still play a role or has it in the past played a role? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think track record is very important too. Uh, you know, you're, you, it, and also depends what what area you're working in. Uh, you know, you're always going to get the Facebook stories of the world or the Snapchat stories of the world. Uh, but you know, other industries require you know other aspects and other other uh, experience uh, that, that is critical. So I think it's on a case by case basis. But you know, usually you can you can get a good read of the people and how uh, you know what kind of job they can do to to grow a company successfully. Does venture, do you think there's too much emphasis put on companies needing to be venture scale? Yeah, that's a fabulous question. And um, I, I have often told companies that, you know, during, through the UW 
you know, competition, you know, venture is not the only source of financing. Uh, it's one source of financing if you're in a very high growth area. You know, if everyone tried to think that venture was the only source of funding growing a company, you know, you, you, would, you would stymie the growth. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very cautious of making sure that people are aware of when venture is appropriate and when it's not appropriate and there's other sources of funding that could be uh, more appropriate for those types of deals. Longer story we can have now, but, but the, it just depends what kind of company and what kind of area and sector they're in. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a firm, but venture is not the only answer. And, and you know, I think people can sometimes can be disappointed when they go, well, I, I tried to get venture financing, I couldn't. Um, it doesn't mean you're a bad company, it doesn't mean it's a bad idea, it doesn't mean it's a bad product. Uh, it's just it's not a fit for a venture type investment uh, that is a growth story. Well, I think I know what you're going to say here, but how much money does a startup really need? <laughs> <laughs> Probably about three or four times than they tell you. <laughs> so uh, how long does the process take once you've decided to um, invest, once Ignition has decided to invest for um, the check to clear, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, in the past, I mean, you, you obviously you, you want to get to know the team, you want to get to know the product, uh, you've got due diligence to do. Um, but, you know, from from the sort of decision of, uh, you know, we usually have companies in for a couple of times to meet the partnership and then make a decision. You know, the worst thing is the long no. Um, you know, uh, obviously a quick yes is the best, but a long no is the absolute worst. And so, you know, getting back to the, uh, the companies in a, in a, a a quickest time as you can, being respectful of their need to go and find financing for someone else if you're not going to be the financer is, I think, critical. But you know, once that decision's made, it's kind of the 30, 40 days of just lawyer, paperwork, all that kind of stuff. You know, we, we've we've done some uh, some seed investment, and I think you know that process was a lot quicker because of the way that that, that ticks through quicker. It's a lot lot less money too, and so yeah, I mean, obviously there's a different a different way that various companies are dealt with, and actually different from different sectors as well. So it really is very much case by case basis. There isn't really a cookie cutter across uh, both sector, stage, technology, and uh, and entrepreneurs. Well, you've done a fair amount of uh, mentoring and judging for the Burke Center uh, at our competitions, Jones Plus Foster Accelerator just on the side sometimes with some of these students. Um, is there one thing that you wish more new entrepreneurs did? I think it's stage-appropriate expectations. I think ex knowing, knowing what, your, uh, what your capabilities are, matching that with what the market sees, matching that with what the funding is, and that's a great thing to help with. I, I had a last couple of years some great conversations with the, some of the teams we were mentoring where you know, we were really sort of explaining you know, how do you get from point A to point B and what pro progress you need to make in order to attract the next little funding. And I could see the light bulb go off in, uh, in this person's head, and that was, that was extremely rewarding because you said, yeah, great, they get it. Sometimes they don't get it, but uh, you know when 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 people do and and it makes sense, and you get that that uh, that dialogue going. It's it's a lot of fun. That sounds like that's your favorite part. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when you look back and you, and you think of some of the impact that that you've had on the lives of some of these new entrepreneurs, um, does it fill you with pride? They're doing all the hard work. I'm just there to help. Uh, but I hope that they you know remember back this experience like I did. 30 years ago uh, when I got 15 pounds for a competition back when I was at uh, a college and, and they look back on this and sort of say, yeah, you know, these guys kind of might have been able to help here. So that's always good. That was Adrian Smith of venture capital firm Ignition in Bellevue. Our next guest is a good one as well. I think you'll enjoy the tremendous insights here on how to build a team, change a company's name and recruit a CEO, plus a lot more. Take a listen. Our guest now is Greg Newbloom. Greg is the founder and CTO of Membrion, a clean tech startup that created at UW a low-cost, high-efficiency membrane or filter 
uh, to disrupt the alternative energy market. Greg previously was co-founder and CTO of conductive polymer company Polydrop, and as you can imagine, has a significant background in chemical engineering and a long string of successes in startup competitions. Greg, thank you for speaking with us. Yeah, thanks, Charles. Uh, you describe yourself as a T-shaped person on LinkedIn. Why is that? I think that the the concept behind that is that you know I I came to the University of Washington originally did my PhD and so I have this this real depth of expertise in one field, uh, but beyond that I have a lot of experience doing things beyond just technology development. And when it comes to kind of doing some uh, marketing, sales. Um, you know, translating technologies. And so I think that kind of breadth of experience in combination with that kind of one area of depth uh, kind of makes that sort of T-shape. And I think that that the more T-shaped people that you can get together, uh, the easier it is to run an organization really efficiently because you have people who understand, at least on some level, how uh, each other works um, and the value that they bring. But at the same time, they each have their own area of deep competence uh, that you know you can just trust and rely on that they're going to do the job correctly. Yeah, I'm definitely going to ask you about the, the the diversity in the team that you have at Membry on here in a moment. But uh, you're touching on something I think is interesting. When you look back, was there an early experience you can point to in life where when you think about it, it all makes sense where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, I've always had kind of a, an entrepreneurial drive. I think the first company I started uh, was when it was at the, the end of grade school. I started selling snacks at my brother's baseball game. So I, you know, filed uh, filed for uh, incorporation with the, the city and I got, uh, got things set up and, you know, was making a pretty good profit. Uh, had my mom run me to Costco in order to buy buy supplies each week, and eventually translated that to you know bringing things to school and selling things at school during in between uh, class periods. And so I've always kind of had that. Uh, you know, I think that there are opportunities, and I see those opportunities. I just go for them, and um, and so I think that you know I've always been kind of entrepreneurial minded, but I've also really enjoyed the hard sciences. And so it's it's been fun to kind of see that entrepreneurship loop back, um, in, back kind of into my life and into the forefront after a hiatus, more focused on science. Now, were the, were the parents supportive? back then or uh, did they think oh you know this is cute greg's doing something. uh it was you know i think for the most part they were pretty supportive up until i started getting in trouble with the school for selling things uh it wasn't selling anything illegal it was all just uh you know snacks and random things but eventually i got told that you know it's distracting to have students um, swarming around me in between periods and so at that point i kind of got the uh you know well maybe you don't want to like rock the boat too much uh, but up until that point, you know, I think that everyone was uh, was supportive and they were helpful. And but you know, most of it was all like you know setting prices and um, and dealing with inventory. That was all stuff that that I did and had a lot of free reign to play around with it. Yeah, your 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 first obstacles that came with success. That's exactly really exactly. Uh, is it true that you also had an internship at NASA and what did that teach you? Yeah, I think that yeah, I did have an internship at NASA. I did it there. Uh, Goddard Space Flight Center, which is in Maryland. Um, and really, I think one of the things that's, uh, that's interesting about NASA is their ability to cast uh, a vision for what they're doing um, and to really be able to kind of rope in the public interest. And I think that was one of the really cool things about doing the, the internship was being able to see the kind of direct effects of the technologies that I was working on. I was working on uh, composite materials uh, to be, and basically incorporating nanomaterials uh, to be able to add certain properties to, to things that were going into space. 
Um, and so that was a really cool thing because I got to kind of have that vision of like, this is a lot bigger than just playing around with things in the lab, like this serves a purpose. And so I think that one of the things I learned from there was just the way to effectively cast a vision for a technology um, that's really hard or it's really easy to lose if you're kind of in the lab grinding things out on a day-to-day -day basis. It's really easy to forget of the, the potential impact that something can have. And so I think that they did a really good job kind of instilling that broader vision that helps to maintain the momentum behind something. Well, let's talk about Membryon because it's related to what you're saying there. In a year's time, the company went from having some success as Ionic Windows mm -hmm. to catapulting forward as Membryon. Uh, were you surprised? Um, I mean, I think that I, I yes and no. Um, I, I mean, I think some of it is, you know, I've had a, these ex earlier experiences both with, you know, kind of going back to elementary school days, but then also uh, during my PhD, helped to kind of launch a couple different technologies. So I had experience. I kind of knew, at least at the very early stage, what I was what I was doing, how to kind of vet out some early numbers. And so, um, part of it, like, yeah, I'm always, you know, I'm always surprised when an idea takes off. Um, at the same time, I knew kind of some of the framework to to put those ideas together and to really vet out the idea if it see if it had legs. And once I thought that it had legs, then it's really about uh, being able to communicate that to other people and, and kind of cast that vision. So what, uh, briefly, what went into the name change? Uh, so yeah, the name change um, was interesting because we went through the environmental innovation challenge and the business plan competition um, and literally everyone we talked to uh, asked us if we were doing something with solar windows, um, which solar windows are really cool. They just have nothing to do with what we're doing. And, you know, we had this kind of, we used a lot of puns and stuff like that because uh, we couldn't think of anything better. And so we had a lot of puns about, you know, being able to like see uh, the renewable energy future more clearly. And, and we use, we use silica in our, in our uh, membranes. And so we thought, oh, it's like a window material, um, it made sense to us, made sense to our customers, uh, but we kept hearing this whole solar window theme. Um, and so eventually we got sick of having the first sentence out of our mouths have to be, well, we actually don't do anything with windows. Uh, we actually make membranes. And so eventually we switched to something that was a little bit more intuitive uh, to, to that point. And, and along with that, so one of the other ways you're often described is a, a company that's building a better battery. Yes. Yeah, we, we often do get described as building a better battery. And that's that's part of the the messaging that we're trying to figure out is like how do we how do we frame this to really our expertise is like, yeah, we enable our customers to build better batteries. Uh, you know, we we enable companies to be able to do things as they integrate our materials. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we're building a membrane. Uh, we filter molecules in harsh environments. And so I think part of the shift to Membryon is really that emphasis on membranes and what our core competency is. Yeah. Well, Membryon's success came not just from the product, but the team. Uh, talk a little bit about the importance of having engineers and MBAs together. Yeah, I think that I think that that's something that uh, often gets overlooked, especially as I've talked to to other engineers who really just want to fly uh, solo. You know, they really believe in their technology, and I, I really believe in what we're doing. And at the end of the day, I don't have uh, the expertise or the exp experience building out uh, financial projections or understanding uh, the intricacies of supply chain or different competitive threats and how to mitigate those. And so I think that there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, when we started bringing on MBA students and relying on mentors from the Jones Foster program uh, has been really helpful for kind of rounding out that expertise uh, because it gives a whole uh, another depth of um, 
of believability um, and of accuracy is we're able to communicate to people based on knowledge as opposed to just guesses that we as engineers like to make. Now the Jones Foster, Greg mentions the Jones Plus Foster Accelerator, uh, one of the uh, university accelerator run out of the Burke Center for Entrepreneurship. Now you guys actually completed that and received 25000 follow-on funding before going into the next year of competitions. Uh, an interesting thing happened with Membryon as well. After you've won the UW Business Plan Competition uh, in 2017, you then went and recruited an outside CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, share with us the thought process there and how that played out. Yeah, so yeah, so I just recently, the last uh, couple months ago, stepped down from the CEO position and, and transitioned to CTO um, and brought on John Plaza, um, who's a very well-known entrepreneur uh, in the clean tech space. And so John is someone who I'd met about a year ago through uh, the Clean Energy Institute and the Entrepreneurship and Residence Program within the UW, um, and just had you know used him as a, as a resource to help me kind of make some strategic decisions and figure things out. And John and I kind of kept up that relationship of meeting roughly once a month for for about a year. And then kind of as I was recognizing that you know really the value that I can bring to the company really comes on my ability to uh, to innovate and prototype and be able to really develop out the technology. And that I was, but in reality, what I was doing is I was spending a lot of my time doing these things that I was learning how to do, how to run a company, how to manage employees, thinking about how to build a team, which is all a lot of fun to do, but outside my core competency. So thinking about Membryon as a whole, not just, you know, I'm the founder, I want this to succeed, but, but really as like, this is a business, I want to see it go somewhere, I want to see us do something in the world, recognizing that I needed to get out of my own way um, and let someone with more experience. So, so yeah, John was someone I knew and basically uh, John and I kind of sat down um, and talked about what it would look like to bring him on as CEO. And really, that's been a you know, four-month process of you know, me slowly handing over the reins to John, John seeing if it's a good fit and making sure that, that really we can work effectively together, that our kind of goals and visions uh, line up. And so we've, we've gone through this kind of intentionally structured transition period, and we're now just coming to the end of that. Um, and it's gone really smoothly um, with John taking on a lot of these responsibilities and me being able to see like, yeah, I can trust this person. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to uh, and want to hand over the company to them from a leadership standpoint, knowing that it's going to be in good hands. And I think that that uh, transition can often be really messy. So I got a lot of advice on the front end about, you know, how to make sure that, uh, you know, transitioning leadership uh, is often very complicated. And so basically just took the approach of taking it slow and making it a transition process as opposed to kind of a singular decision of uh, now you're in charge and let's see what you do. Um, that just wasn't my, my style. So we took a different approach and so far it's gone really well. Where does that self-awareness come from to be able to recognize what you're capable of and what maybe somebody else could maximize what they're capable of better. Yeah, I think some of it is, um, I mean, some of it is just uh, introspection. Um, so I'll, my, my wife is a therapist. Um, so get to spend like, you know, the idea of self-reflection and really being kind of aware of who you are um, is just part of our kind of everyday language. So recognizing the things that I'm good at, the things that I want to be good at, um, but maybe I'm not good at, uh, and being able to differentiate between those things, I think is uh, has been really helpful. And yeah, a lot of that's just you know spending the time doing the work, understanding like who I am, what my strengths are, uh, what my goals are, and even a lot of the stuff that you know John is doing are things that you know 20 years from now I want to be able to do as well as John can do. But right now, 
uh, it's going to take me 10 times as long. Um, and doing those things holds back the company's success. And so it made sense to be able to, to I, you know, I've been huge on uh, both being a mentor and being mentored. And so having someone like John that I can watch uh, navigate these things so smoothly uh, gives me the ability to, to really learn and absorb that information in a way that uh, would take me much longer to be able to figure it out myself through the process of trial and error. So I think some of it is also just kind of strategy around what I want my career to look like in addition to what I want Membryon to be and, uh, and to accomplish. Well, speaking of watching, so you actually practiced and posted on YouTube an elevator pitch that you were working on for Membryon. Um, talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, they're, you know, looking back at those, a lot of them are pretty, uh, pretty embarrassing um, because you have these kind of snapshots in time where you put in your, your absolute best effort at the time. And then six months later, you look back and you think, what the heck was I thinking? Like that was, was really not that good. It was pretty clunky, uh, you know? And so I think a lot of those are, uh, they're, they're, you know, I, they help to keep me humble as I look back and see like, uh, you know, this is where we've come from. Like we like looking at those elevator pitches is one of the best ways to recognize that. Yeah, we've grown in the way that we talk about the company. Um, and so, yeah, they're they're fun to watch. But uh, but I don't spend a whole lot of time watching them. Now, you're married, correct? Yes, I am. Uh, there's an interesting balance, I think, that entrepreneurs and new entrepreneurs have to think about uh, managing between business and life. Uh, what, what's been your secret? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, when I was, when I founded, uh, founded Polydrop, when I originally, you know, just had graduated from my PhD program, I actually didn't manage that uh, transition very well. Uh, it's something that, you know, figuring out, you, you know, you have, a, you know, in my case, a technology that you love and you want to see grow. It's really easy to put in 12, 16 hour days. Um, and just have that be all consuming. And that like was not super great on, on marriage. And so one of the things was, you know, as I, after I'd stepped out of Polydrop, kind of recentered, this time it's taken a different approach, recognizing that, you know, I can work really hard, but I need to have that segregated time that I can, you know, invest in both, both my wife and in friendships. Um, and then in reality, that investment of time actually helps me to be more productive uh, because that, because sinking all of my time, it's really easy to, to become less efficient. Um, and so, you know, having that contrast, I think has actually made this, made things run a lot smoother and more efficiently um, as opposed to applying in time. I think that's something that, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily figured out without having done it the other way and recognize that that doesn't work very well. Um, and so some of it is just, you know, that trial and error and failure uh, and then kind of, you know, rebuilding and figuring out what, what healthy looks like. Well, you have spent your time really interestingly. Uh, you were one of two entrepreneurs in Invited to join the UW and Washington State delegation to China mm -hmm. uh, with the Lieutenant Governor of Washington State to talk clean tech. Uh, describe that journey. Yeah, so I mean that was that was really a, an amazing experience uh, with being able to to go over to China and really see a lot of their commitment to uh, to clean tech. Um, and developing out clean tech infrastructure within China uh, is just impressive. And I think it's it's really cool to see that kind of mirrored on our state level and hear uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Cyrus uh, Habib talk about kind of uh, how the state of Washington is positioning itself to help entrepreneurs, to help uh, new technologies kind of make it through that transition process. Um, and so being able to, to kind of see that firsthand and see how on a much larger scale that's mirrored in China um, was really cool. And so to be, to be there as part of that was, uh, was a pretty amazing experience uh, all around. 
Uh, you've also had the experience of being published in academic research, and you've also applied for and received acquired patents. Uh, how much of those play a role in your success, being able to have branched out into those areas? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that a lot of those um, it's it it certainly helps with knowing that you know it, it I think uh, to a certain degree demonstrates that. Uh, we have that depth of expertise that's necessary to carry this out because I think that's a challenge with developing a kind of deep material science-based technology is knowing that the person who's leading that charge is going to have enough uh, background and expertise to actually be able to execute on what they're saying. And so I think that those uh, you know, publications and patents add uh, add weight to what we're doing and demonstrating that you know this is not this is not a brand new frontier for us. Uh, these are things that you know. We've we've done similar things before. We know how to how to do the science, how to do the engineering, um, and then how to how to protect that as well from an IP strategy. And so, um, yeah, I think that those things are are certainly helpful. And we continue to write uh, papers and patents on the stuff that we're doing uh, when appropriate for for the success of the company. Well, speaking of that scientific approach, what is it about uh, identifying a problem and and finding a solution uh, that interests you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's just something, there's something that's like deeply satisfying about solving a problem. Um, and I, I haven't quite figured out what it is. Not everybody has that, but, um, but it's something that I, I absolutely love is, you know, if I see something, I, uh, I like tackling it, even if it's as simple as, uh, as fixing something around the house. Uh, it's just a deeply satisfying thing. And so I think that one of the things that's been really cool to me um, with this, this time around with Membryon is, you know, understanding some of this uh, concept behind uh, the lean startup movement and, and understanding that, you know, really what it is, it's applying the scientific method to business. Um, and once I, once I heard that, a lot of things kind of clicked in place with understanding that like, oh, this is just a matter of like identifying a problem and testing a hypothesis and kind of going through these same steps that I'm so familiar with in the lab. Um, but had no clue how to formulate and structure on a business side. And I think that understanding those parallels and having someone walk me through them uh, was very helpful for kind of putting in place a lot of the ways that we address problems and market opportunities at Membryon. Now, you, you know, you've gone through grad school. You've gone through the doctoral program. Uh, you've done enough competitions, worked with enough students over the years to have a good grasp on what lessons are important. What's the one thing new entrepreneurs need to know, need to do more of? Yeah, I think that I think that new entrepreneurs. Uh, one of the hardest things is kind of is balancing that that gut intuition with some with a healthy dose of humility. Uh, because I think that it's really easy as new entrepreneurs to be so excited about your idea that you put blinders on. Um, and when you hear a dissenting opinion, it's really easy to think like they just don't understand. They don't know, like, you know, and, and maybe that's true. Maybe you just didn't explain it well enough to them and they weren't able to grasp it. But, but in reality, sometimes if you hear the same thing over and over again, chances are it is a problem. And I think that that's one of the things is being able to being able to have that humility to say like, this person uh, might understand something that I don't. Um, and instead of figuring out a way to push back against that, figuring out a way to take in that advice and really work with it, um, I think is important. And that obviously has to be balanced with that kind of gut instinct where sometimes you are right and you just have to believe you're right. Um, and sometimes other people are wrong. Um, and so I think that finding that 
that balance is important. And the way that I've kind of strived to find that balance is by having a variety of mentors around me um, who have already found that balance for themselves. Um, and so being able to see how other people kind of handle those same things is, is helped me to begin figuring out how to, how to balance that kind of, uh, you know, reliance on gut instinct versus that practical humility. A path to success isn't a straight line. Definitely not. A big thank you to Greg Newbloom of Membryon for speaking with us. A reminder for student listeners out there, the Team Formation website is now live, and you can learn more at startup.uw.com. And please, subscribe to Founded on SoundCloud, iTunes, and other podcast platforms. I'm Charles Trillingham.